So, um, we are going to be talking about the glory of God today. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago, um, I did a series at Anchor, and it was Knowing God. Um, and it was really, it was, it was fun to dig into it and, and, and just really want to know God more. And you can't know the glory of God until you first know God. Um, so that's what we're going we're gonna to do. I'm going to go way back to the beginning. Uh, I believe that every person here was designed and created by the God of this universe to bring and show Him glory. Like, I don't believe anyone here was just like, you know, accidentally popped out of their mom. You were designed and created by the God of this universe to show Him glory. Uh, I, I, I like to say that the best day of your life is the day that you were born. The second best day is the day you discover why. Because everyone was born to give glory to God, everyone in their own individual way that you have to discover and stuff. Um, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. So God created the heavens, he created the mountains, he created all this stuff, and they show him glory. They bring him glory. We can look around at his creation. I mean, upstate New York is frigid, but upstate New York is beautiful. Like, you can look around every single day, no matter what it is, and you can see God's glory. Uh, His creation shouts his glory. He is proclaiming through his creation how glorious he is. But that wasn't enough. Um, Because it's hard to have a conversation with a mountain. It's hard to have a relationship with a tree, right? So that's why God created us and he wanted us. Um, okay, so God is like master creator. He's like an artist. We can see throughout it, um, he's, he's just a great artist. He's a painter. Did anyone see the sunset on Monday? Oh my gosh, I've never seen that. It was like 360 degree panoramic, the most beautiful sunset. Like, you look at that and you say, okay, God, you are like an amazing painter. He's a sculptor. He's a designer. He's a musician. Like, spring really, really wants to come. Like, I heard the birds chirping, and they were proclaiming, they were singing God's glory. Um, so, unless you... Um, uh, so, we have artists, we have painters, we have dancers, we have designers, we have people like that here. Unless you do that as an act of worship to God, most people do that stuff for one purpose, and that's to bring themselves glory. So, like, an artist paints a beautiful picture, and he wants it to go into a museum where people go up and they go, oh my goodness, look at how awesome this guy paints. God is the same way. I think that when God designed us, when God designed his universe, he did it to bring himself glory. He wants, he wants the glory for himself. Um, God created you to bring him glory. God knows you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him and his holiness. Because God is holy, right? Isaiah 6, 3. 
says, this is, so this is the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You would think that the next line would be, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his holiness. But it doesn't say that. It says the whole earth is filled with his glory. Because when you see his holiness, and when you know he is holy, then you can see his glory. You need to know God's holiness before you can see his glory. Isaiah 42, 8. This is harsh. Uh, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. So God is, God is a jealous God, right? We're to fear God. He says, glory, it's mine. I don't share it. I'm not giving it to anybody. It's for me and me alone. Uh, God, it's sacred. It's holy. He protects his glory, right? So, okay. Um, we know that from the beginning, God wanted to have a relationship with us. Like, say, God wants a relationship with me. Right. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. We know this because it says, and they heard the sound. This is Adam and Eve. This is after they sinned. They said, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They didn't go like, they didn't hear like... And they weren't like, what was that? Never heard that before. They heard that and they knew, oh shoot, dog, that's God coming and he's going to know we messed up. God would commune with them. He would have a relationship. He would walk with them and talk with them. He wanted to, from the beginning, to know us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted to teach us and all that good stuff. What happened? Anybody know the story? Right. They messed up. Satan deceived man, right? Has anyone here ever been deceived? Satan stole from them something that wasn't his. Like, like he didn't steal from them. He tricked them into things. He asked them, hey, can I have this? And they gave it to him. Because Satan has no power except that which we give him. So he asked for something that did not belong to them, and we gave it to him. him. Therefore, sin entered the world. Sin separates God from us. Okay. Exodus 33. So now we have sin in the world. No longer does man commune, talk, have a relationship, walk with God all the time. So God's laws are still there. God is still righteous and he's holy and he wants that. Um, but man messed up. So now we have high priest that kind of, God says, hey, I still want to be, I still want to have a relationship, but it's a little different now. So the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here for you you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, your offspring I will give it. So God still loves us. God is passionately in love with you. 
right now. No matter what you've done, where you are, God loves you, just like he loved the Israelites. So he saved them, and they were like, I I think they had like short-term memory. So, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That wasn't very good. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people, and if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may not, so I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from the Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take up the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far away from the camp, and he called this the tent of the meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting, which was outside the camp. This is important because he didn't set it up where everyone was. Because not everybody wanted to seek the Lord. He set it up outside, and if you wanted to seek the Lord, you could go out there and seek the Lord. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, Curious? And each one would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So he's going into the tent. This is in the, like going into the Holy of Holies. He's going into the actual presence of God. This, this ark, Adam and Richie, right? I think Adam and Richie built this um, ark. So this is the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of that is the mercy seat. That's where God dwelt. Um, And when Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So God wanted to speak with man from the beginning. Man sinned. Now God has to speak to man through Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up his people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. God was holy. Moses knew that. Moses was not content just sitting outside the tent. Moses was not content just knowing God. He wanted to really know God. Like, he wanted to see the glory of God. So he would go in there, and he would see him face to face. And um, he would, but, but he still, he wanted, he wanted more. Can we go continue on in that? Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Do you think Moses had favor in God's sight? I dare say he did. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider that, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses is saying, I'm not going anywhere unless you go before me. Because I don't want to do, you know, growing up, we're always like, we've got our plans. I, from a young age, had my life planned out. 
it was nothing like God wanted. And luckily, I didn't do my plan. But I've always, I've always, I was kind of convicted while studying this because if some, I love Virginia, I love the South. I was created, for those that you don't know, I was created in New Mexico and I was designed, I was formed in Sydney. But I was created in Mexico, New Mexico. So, I love the South. I love things about the South. And if someone, if someone would mention, you know, Virginia, I'd be like, that's where God lives. <laughs> Guess what? God lives in Virginia, but God also lives here. But I would always say that's where God lives because it's just a, a cool place and stuff. And I was really convicted because Moses said, listen, I don't want to do anything unless you're doing it with me. Very often, we want God to fit into our plans instead of fitting into what God is doing. And, and, and that, that was a side note. For, na- for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? So, so he's saying we're different because God is with us. We're different because God goes before us. We saw in the beginning of this passage, God went before me. He took care of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all the otherites. And they knew that they were different, not because of anything about them, not because of whatever. It was because God was with them. I and your people from every other people on the face of this earth were different. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have I found favor in your sight, and I know you by name. That's all God wants. God wants to know us by name. He wants us to know him by name. Moses, that wasn't enough for him. He said, God, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all the goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. The Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you can't see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. Now, I dare say, Moses would have rather have seen God's faith face and died than not see God's face. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and as I pass by, I will cover you with my hand, and you can check out my back. I almost said While my glory passes by, and then I will take my hand, and you shall see my back, but not my face. My face will not be seen. The Israelites were God's special people, right? You would think the amount of times God saved them, they would have remembered and they would have acted differently, but they weren't. They seemed to get away with a lot of things that other people didn't get away with, right? They were called to be holy, but they weren't. They couldn't do it. So God set up a system where they would be cleansed and stuff like that. So the the priest would offer blood sacrifices in order to cleanse them of their sins. 
Leviticus 16, 1-22. So this is, this, is, this is how the Israelites used to be cleansed. It's, this is the atonement. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons, Aaron's two sons, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come up at any time into the holy place inside the veil, because the mercy seat is on the ark, like I said up there, so that he might not die. So God didn't want Aaron to die. He he didn't want that. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. I tried to like just pull out a couple scriptures out of this and just give you like the abridged version. I couldn't do it. So he shall put on the holy linen coat. So there's a process that 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 Aaron had to go through to purify himself, to make himself good enough to enter God's presence. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. These are very specific guidelines that needed to be met. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house, And then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. So this this goat, after Aaron's purified himself, he's got two goats outside and he casts lots for them. One is going to be a sacrifice to the Lord for the burnt offering. The other is a living sacrifice that is going to be sent out to Azazel. Azazel is like a demon in the wilderness. This was called like the Azazel goat. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it might be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel to be devoured. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. Do you think God's glory is, do you you see how he protects his glory and he treasures it? There's like this whole process in which the order has to be done. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die because dying's bad. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat. Here's a little interesting fact. Um, I don't know if it's a fact. Uh, I was talking with an archaeologist probably 10 years ago about the Ark of the Covenant. He would go over and like on these digs and stuff like that. And like this is the mercy seat and you're like look at that and you're like like Where's God sitting, right? So he says that he found the people that are protecting the ark. And so he described this to them, and they're like, oh, that. You're kind of right, but it's not really right. Because, like, say this is the ark. He said the angel, the one angel has his arm like this, and the arm is down like this. 
And then on this side, this angel is like here and here, really creating a sea. So if that's the case, because like that is how 99%, that's how everyone depicts the Ark of the Covenant. So he shall take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the front of the mercy seat with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and to do this with the, with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sin. And so he shall do for the tent of the meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. They were unclean. And when he had made an end of the atonement, of, of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. So he's done inside. Now he comes outside where the last goat is. There were two. One went as a sacrifice for sin. Now this live goat is outside. I don't know how it's sticking around because... I'd be out of there. So, so now Aaron lays both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confesses over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions and all of their sins. And he shall put on the head of the goat and send it away to the wilderness. Who is ready? The goat shall bear... That's okay. The goat shall bear all of their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the wilderness go free in the wilderness. So now the demon, Azazel, is out there waiting. So this ceremony, this is the, the, the atonement. It happened once a year. So like all the sins were kind of stored someplace, and then at the end they would do this festival, the atonement, and it would happen. And once a year, this goat would be sent out to the wilderness to, do, to be devoured by the enemy, and then Israel would start over, right? So the goat did not get rid of the sin, but it took care of the consequences. It then made them right with God for a brief time, and then it started over again. Because we know the Israelites, they couldn't go like 13 seconds without sinning, right? But it was good to be God's chosen people, right? Because everyone else, they didn't have that luxury. They didn't have the luxury of being able to once a year be like, okay, God, you can take it and start all over. Other tribes had to look at them and be just a little bit jealous, right? I believe that the Israelites were called by the God of this universe to bring him glory and to show 
him glory. Um, but the system that was put in place, it didn't really work, right? It never restored what Satan took from us, right? It was temporary. So John 1, 1 through 3, we're going to see, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God. So in the beginning of time, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that scripture right there says that Jesus was with God from the beginning. God didn't create Jesus. Jesus was with God. They were one. Everything that was created, Jesus was there being like, green for the leaves. It's my vote. Whatever. So Jesus was there. Um, Jesus was in the beginning. He watched creation happen. He watched God choose these people. And then he watched them fall over and over and over. And he had to know that it wasn't working, right? He had to be like, these stiff-necked people. He knew it wasn't working. What's the solution? John 1.14 says, In the word, Jesus, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. This is the glory that Moses wanted nothing more to see. We see it because of Jesus. Like, we didn't have to do anything. Moses, if you look at the things that Moses did, you'd think he should have been the one to see God's glory. But because Jesus comes to this time and place, like Williamsburg, Virginia, that's where my heart is. I love Williamsburg. Williamsburg is like this, this era that's gone past. And it is like, it, to me, it seems like just the perfect place. Uh, we were just down there. We took some of the school kids down there. And they were like, oh, we want to do this, we want to do this. They want to go shopping. And I was like, it was my birthday. I said, drop me off in the middle of Colonial Williamsburg. Come get me. Don't come get me. I don't really care. You'll know where I am when you're ready to see me. Best birthday present ever. I jump out to go explore Williamsburg at night by myself. And Julia jumps out with me. And she's like, I'm going with my daddy. And I was like, come on. It was awesome. So they went shopping. Julie and I went exploring. And it was, it was awesome. So Williamsburg, I've always thought, man, I wish I could have just lived in a time like Williamsburg. You know, things were simpler then. Does anyone look around at the world that's around us and be like, it's crazy. Like, like you want to go back to a simpler time. But I'm here to tell you, God didn't want you in that time. You were called for this time. You know how I know that? This is very technical. You go like this. You feel your heart beating. That's how you know God wants you here. That was free. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son 
of the Father, full of grace and truth. Holiness, right? Okay, so Jesus now steps onto the scene to this stiff-necked people, and he's going to really change and he's going to rock some boats, and he's going to be like, yo, dog. So this brings us to, like, today. Today is um, Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. So um, they also call it his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So he, Jesus has come. He's doing miracles. He's doing all sorts of things. People are starting to know him. The religious people are like, oh, yes, the Savior's here. No. The religious people are like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's really cramping my style. We need to get rid of him. So Jesus, in all form and fashion like Jesus does, he tiptoes quietly around and sneaks in the back door, right? No. Jesus is like, I got this. It's my day. I'm coming in. So that's where we're going to pick up right now. Matthew 21, 1 through 13. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of me, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what they had spoken by the prophet, saying, So to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus probably wanted to go in and like a Corvette. Just saying. But because he needed to fulfill the prophecy, he chose the donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus has directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. By the whole city, it means the whole city, especially the religious leaders. Now, why were they stirred up? Well, they've, they've been wanting to, they've been plotting to how they're going to capture this guy. And he's like, they're right in front of him, right? They, they used to, when, when the crowd was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, it used to be the... It used to be the priest that would say, Hosanna, Hosanna, when walking around the altar when the sacrifices were going to be made. So it had to just be like, like, like just totally throw them for a loop, right? Who is this, they said. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought, the, brought, and bought in the temple. And he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. It sounds like God when he is defending his glory, right? Like, like Jesus is saying, this is holy and you guys have turned it into unholiness. See what they... What, the priest would 
prepare the sacrifice, the blood, and present it to God. So over time, the, the priest kind of got lazy. I don't know. So what would happen is, is you would bring your sacrifice. You would bring your perfect lamb without spot. It had to be white. It, was, it needed to be perfect. And the priest would examine it, and he'd look over it, and he'd be like, yep, this is good enough to cover the sins. So, so the priest would do that, and then you were then able to sacrifice, have your animal sacrificed to God for sins. The, the priest, I'm not sure when, but it came to a time where when this was happening, the priest was like, hey, we're going to make this easy for you, kind of like Amazon. Like, you, you don't have to bring your own goat. You just say, hey, give me a goat, and the priest would bring a spotted, a, a perfect goat, and that would be your sacrifice, right? So what they, what they were doing, though, because the priest couldn't touch money because money was not holy, so they, they had to have these money changers. So the money changers were robbing people. They would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you did what? Okay, that's going to be a pigeon and a rabbit. No, not a rabbit. That's going to be a, a whatever. And they would say, okay, that's going to be $150. So they would give them $150. They would trust that that was going to pay for their sins and stuff like that. Jesus is like, you, you messed up first of all. So we, we set this system in where you could, you know, blood had to be done for the, and now you're messing with that. So that's why Jesus was so upset about that. So he said that you, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. God wants, God will protect what is holy at all costs, right? So I, f- I forgot to say, back um, when we were talking about Azazel, you know, the goat that was sent, Azazel means scapegoat. And we all know what a, a scapegoat is, something that it, sins are put onto, or a punishment is put onto when it didn't deserve it. You know, we have scapegoats, you know, today, you know, a son kills his, kills someone, and a parent says, oh, that was me, that was me. That was me, that was me. Because the parent doesn't want the son to have to go through the consequences of his actions and stuff. So, um, when, when Jesus was doing all this, and he's messing with the religious leaders, and they just want to get rid of him, I, he's doing it for us. Like Jesus, what he did there restored the priesthood back to us, right? Jesus was going to be the blood sacrifice that was needed to cover our sins once and for all. So, um, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to, I hope anyway, we're going to be able to play back like highlights, of our life, of like, you know, there, there are things in the Bible that I just want to see firsthand how it happened, right? Like, like the parting of the sea, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be really cool. Um, there are just things like that. I think the best part would to see Jesus when he goes out in the wilderness to meet Satan. 
Because you've got to really, you got to wrap your brain about this. Like disappointment, like this is probably the most disappointing thing you could possibly ever see in the Bible for Satan. Because forever, once a year, Satan was presented an offering. The offering of atonement that cleansed God's chosen people. And he knew that this offering that was coming was the Son of God. And there's nothing he wanted more was to get his hands on and devour the Son of God, right? Imagine his disappointment when he's watched this whole thing play out for three years and he knows where it's going. He knows Jesus just didn't come down here just to be on some vacation, right? Heaven's much better than it is here. He knows the purpose Jesus has on earth is to be our sacrifice, right? And he knows because it's happened all along that there will be a, an offering to atone for the sins of God's chosen people. And he knows that it's going to be sent to him and he thinks he's going to devour it. So Jesus went through a lot on the cross, right? Jesus, Jesus was whipped, he was beaten. You guys know what happened. He had to do that. He had to shed his blood so that we didn't need to go through that over again. So that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could bring forth the glory back to God. But that's all he had to do. He didn't have to go to the wilderness and be devoured by Satan. But he, Satan, that's what I want to see. I want Satan to be like, come on. And then Jesus just opened up a can of something. That's what I want to see. So, um, yeah, okay. So now, this is, this is getting good. So, Jesus has done all that. He's restored the priesthood back to us. We know that God created us. Why? To bring Him glory. To show how do we bring God ultimate glory? Because if we know that God's ultimate desire in life is to have relationship with people, right? Anyone God created, God created to have a relationship with Him. I believe that God created Hitler to have a relationship with him. I believe that God created all these bad people to have a relationship with him. But just like Adam, they were deceived and they gave Satan something that wasn't theirs. They may not have known it. I mean, how do, has anyone here ever given Satan something that wasn't theirs? Like, like Satan says, hey, you might die tomorrow. So you get that fear. And you, live, you dwell on that fear. And that fear controls you. Guess what? You gave that to Satan. Like, Satan said, hey, can I, get a little, can I get a little fear over here? And you're like, okay, here you go. Or you could say, not today, Satan. That's what, that's what Satan, that's what Jesus said to Satan. When Satan was getting ready to pounce on him, I know you're just like, not today, Satan. 
And that's what we can do when Satan comes to try to get something from us that he doesn't deserve. We can say, not today, Satan. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. This is our part. But you are a chosen race because Jesus, he restored the priesthood, right? He restored the priesthood that Satan stole back to us, right? Right. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Say, I am chosen. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once there was a time when you didn't belong to him. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now his. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So this is, this is how we can bring glory back to God. I urge you to abstain from that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable because God is holy, right? And he values and he protects what's holy. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds. And then what happens? They glorify God in heaven on the day of visitation. So when we do what God, when we as God's chosen people, See, back in the day, Israelites, the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. And everyone was like, oh man, wouldn't it be good to be an Israelite? Guess what? Now, it says you are chosen. You are a chosen people. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, if you received him and you believe in his name, this is about you. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, he gave the right to become children of God. Like, like, I deal with kids. It breaks my heart when parents abandon their kids, right? There are a lot of times parents don't do what they should do. And a kid will not... A kid is more hurt by rejection than anything I have ever seen in my life. It can go to the point where a kid just is totally debilitated because he can't get over the fact that his mom or dad rejected them. Now, there are many reasons why a mom and dad aren't there, you know? But it doesn't matter. They always sense it as rejection. Why do you think they're sensing it as rejection? I think just like they did back in the day, they've taken something that Satan's given them and said, here you go, I'm going to live on that. They could say, nope, not today. Not today, Satan. But they, they dwell on this rejection and it really scars them a lot. Now this says that you become child, children of God because how often are people adopted? Kids are adopted. They, they very rarely look at the adoption process 
as being wanted. Because, let's face it, when you were born, your parents didn't have a choice as to who you were. Like, when I popped out, they may have been like, shoot, dog, what did we get ourselves into? Like, parents, biological parents, do not have a choice as to whom the child that God gives them is. You're kind of stuck with them, right? Unless you, like, do a little switcheroo at the hospital. No, no, suggest that. But if you, are, if you have been adopted, that means that somebody who wasn't related to you, who didn't have any ties to you, saw you, knew you, chose to love you, and then said, I want you. That's what God has done for us. He knows us in our faults, in our failures, in our sins, in our dirtiness, in our nastiness, and he says, ah, I'm choosing to adopt you. And guess what happens when you are adopted by the God of this universe? You get all the blessings that come with being a child of the Most High God. Who were born... Can you back it up again? I need to start all over. But to all who did receive him, who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You, when you chose to let God adopt you, you took on, you were born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. If you haven't seen God's glory, you're not looking. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The end. God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you have designed this way And I thank you that you are holy. And I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to fulfill and to bring back to you the order in which you wanted this earth to function. God, I pray that through us, you would be glorified. I pray that you would help us show others your glory. And God, I just pray for everyone out there this week that you would just bless them and that you would be glorified through everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.